Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, we have my dear friend, Gavin Peacock. Gavin is a former English Premier League footballer, or as we would say in America, soccer player. We have already talked on this podcast. He is my first repeat guest. Actually, I have to amend myself. I think Jason Dusing has been on twice as well. So Gavin, you have joined the pantheon of two-time guests on City of God podcast. How do you feel about that today? Well, that's that's a pretty elite uh, squad there uh, joining Jason, so uh, I feel honored. I feel honored. You should. As stated previously, uh, Gavin uh, attained a good deal of success and even fame in playing in the Premier League for a number of years, decades even, and uh, and but more importantly, in his life, he is a pastor in Calgary in Canada, and he's director of international outreach for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. He and I co-authored a book entitled The Grand Design, Male and Female, He Made Them. Gavin is a man of many talents and abilities, and uh, Gavin, it's great to have you back today because we are talking about the major global event right now at this point in time, uh, the World Cup. Can you just quickly sum up for us as best you can, uh, because you are our, I don't know if you know this, you are our resident on-call soccer expert. <laughs> okay. Can you sum up for right. us the global, honestly, the global significance of the World Cup? I mean, mm. is, is, this is basically the biggest sporting event in the world, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you just look at the statistics of viewing figures for the Super Bowl uh, 2018, it was just over, I think, a hundred thousand. They they worked it uh, they worked it out as. Um, Sorry, a hundred uh, million. Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. World Cup final in two thousand and fourteen was a billion. Yeah. So that's a billion people tuning into the World Cup final, and it wow. went out. They estimated to about three point two billion over the actual competition. So it, it's huge. Um, of course, it's uh, steeped in history. Uh, you know, you have uh, qualification uh, going back a couple of years to, to get to the final stage of 32 teams, um, and even you know to bid uh, for the uh, for the to host the, the the World Cup. Like Russia mm-hmm. is in Russia, mm-hmm. that would have started back in I think 2009 or something like that. So it's an absolutely huge. Um, Event and of course you've got uh, the best teams from from all over the world um, and they and they um, they qualify in their regional uh, categories as it were you know you have the African group you have the the uh, South American group you you have the, um, the the UEFA group and so on and then you bring them all together um, and you have the best uh, players in the world I've been to uh, one World Cup uh, Germany. 2006 with the BBC when I was broadcasting mm. and it was like no event I've ever experienced of being at. I, I called it uh, football Disneyland where all <laughs> the all, the whole world just came and there was this atmosphere and you would see the you know I, 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 I was commentating on games and uh, I'd be, I was based in Berlin and I'd be sitting on the Unter der Linden there that main uh, uh, street through the middle of Berlin and having a cappuccino a few hours before the game and and then you just see 
the colours coming down. Like if you oh. say it was Brazil v Croatia, you know, just see the Brazilians coming down with all their gold and blue and uh, all the the makeup on, and then the Croatians in their red and white checks, and hmm. um, and it really was was an event for me. And I, I played, you know, twenty years as a professional player, but even me going there, uh, it was astounding. So um, it is one of those events that uh, that really so many people around the world will be tuning into. Well, it's interesting in America, uh, you well know, uh, in Canada and America as well, um, I'm just going to call it soccer. I'm sorry. I know that's probably an offense to your sensibilities, you know, uh, understandably, but um, I'm I'm working with my context. I'm contextual today. Um, But in all seriousness, being a little silly here, uh, soccer is not the major game of America or Canada, and yet it is very much rising in popularity here. Uh, I'm in Kansas City here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, for example. We have this team, Sporting KC, in Major League Soccer that a few years ago mm. won the the championship for all of America. Uh, and that's that's a, a phenomenon that is taking place across America throughout numerous cities where you, you see a, a city get a, a squad, a team, and then soccer explodes there and you can't get a ticket and these sorts of things. So the game is really on the rise in America and mm. in Canada as well, I would assume. Um, and that's exciting because this is really the universal game. Gavin, what is it about soccer or football, so-called, that draws so many people and that is played by essentially every nation on earth? Mm. It's a very old game. It goes back many, many hundreds of years. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it may have even originated in China. Mm. Um, wow. One of the things is you don't need a lot of money to play the game you can you know just you just get a ball a bunch of kids together over the park you put a couple of sweaters down for goalposts and and away you go you don't need to buy all the the kit that you would need for say hockey up here in canada or mm-hmm. um or, or football in in the states uh, obviously there's there's a correlation somewhat to to, to basketball where you don't need a, a lot of yes. the gear there um i think it is one of those sports that you can play any you're not size restricted so you know <laughs> there comes a stage in in basketball where there's a certain height you would be i mean yeah, obviously you play, but I mean, you, you probably there's probably no one your height in the uh, in the NBA. Um, this is true. I'm probably I'm probably right there. You're, um, you're... But there would be players your height in you know in the World Cup in the FIFA yes. World Cup, um, and then NFL. Obviously, you could have your special teams. You could be a kicker, but that's pretty much it. You have to be a certain size uh, to really just survive there. Um, whereas you've got all sizes. I think it's um, an exciting game. Uh, it involves, uh, you, you know, endurance, fitness, agility, speed. Um, you're playing with your feet to 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 manipulate a, a spherical object with your feet is kind of counter what the body would do. We'd go for mm. it with our hands. We should, you know, naturally go for it with our hands. Mm. And then to do that at such speed as the players do, um, and then you're using your head. To actually hit the ball, to try and connect with the ball to score a goal, to even make passes. Um, so with all of these things combined, you know, it, the, the fast-moving nature of, of the game as well, there's not a lot of stoppages, um, mm-hmm. or if they are, they're not for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things and the accessibility, the history, um, 
uh, has just become you know it's just become a, a world game. Yes. Um, and then I think with the with the rise in the last. 20 to 30 years of the media and all the advertising and then players then transferring much more fluidly um, from nation to nation. It has become uh, just a, a, a global sport and a money-making machine as well. Mm. Uh, for example, if a team like Chelsea, um, I remember several years ago, uh, they bought Michael Essien, who was the captain of Ghana. Well, just by buying Essien, not only was he a good midfield player and acquisition for, for, for Chelsea, they had the whole of Ghana now tuned into them and, uh. and they were selling shirts galore just with Essien on the back and, and probably made back his salary within the first uh, six months. They made back his salary um, for three years on just on shirt sales. So um, all those things combined, I think, make it just a, a great sport. Yes. Oh, man, I, I agree. It's funny. Uh, I have many different different directions i'd like to go with what you just said but when you watch when you watch soccer uh you know for a bit and it's a good game you know i don't know real madrid liverpool a few weeks ago for example in the champions league final and then you watch basketball or something like that here in america it can be really jolting because the flow of soccer admittedly with not nearly as much uh you know uh catalytic event as there is in a basketball or something like this. But the flow of soccer compared to watching, I don't know, three, four, five, maybe six minutes of in-game action and then commercial and then three minutes and then commercial and then coach calls a timeout because he didn't he didn't like the execution on the on the basketball court. It's shocking. I mean, within a you watch so you watch soccer for an hour, you basically just watch soccer, and then there's halftime, of course. You watch basketball for an hour, you have probably watched 25 commercials it is a totally different experience and it's i've been watching more and more soccer and football the flow of the game is really a thing of beauty but here's the thing gavin again coming from i'm i'm playing the stereotypical westerner a little bit here americaner i should say uh today um you do have to learn the game i think to really appreciate it or else it does just look like a lot of volleying and a lot of you know back and forth without much scoring Talk to us about, so so to help my audience, massive as it is, joke, uh, understand the game better in this World Cup summer, could you just give us a, a snapshot of how the different regions which you mentioned, Africa, South America, Europe, uh, uh, Great Britain, let's say, uh, so on and so forth, how it, it does trying to form this do the different regions break down in a certain style is that fair and if so what is it uh, yeah some, somewhat um the the english game uh, will be known for being uh, aggressive and direct and, and and quite fast um the the african game uh explosive and um and very skillful, maybe uh, a little bit more erratic than uh, lacks a little bit of, of the consistency that maybe, say, the Germans then would have. Then the Germans are very technical, yeah. uh, mentally strong, uh, very consistent, uh, and typically the Germans um, have been a side that has just been formidable um, in, in World Cup competitions because they are just like a machine. So, so you you have to get through the group stages first to then get to the knockout stage, and and so you you don't sort of 
you, you can't um, shoot out too quickly um, because you could lose it at the group stages and never make it to, to the knockout stage. So they're very tactical. Um, and then, of course, the Brazilians um, yeah. who have won the World Cup so many uh, times in the past, though not obviously as good recently, um, the Brazilians would, would combine just this enigmatic flair uh, and power and skill um, uh. with a consistency as well, um, which has made them obviously one of the best nations in the world. So they, that's one of the beauties of the World Cup is that the particular nations bring their particular uh, styles to it. Um, but with the, and this is one of the points I was making, with the game becoming more Global. So now in in the UK, for instance, you have the Premier League, the top league. Well, now you've got some of the top players from some some of the top countries in the world playing in the Premier League. Even the English game itself has taken on um, maybe a little bit more of a of a continental or global feel to it as yeah. as as. I say we, we in England have learned from, uh, from those other nations. Um, so it, it is one of those uh, things that you do, again, you do have to learn. I mean, I love watching basketball. I love watching, um, you know, the NFL. Or, uh, but I don't understand the nuances like, say, someone brought up with the game like you would. Once you begin to understand the game better, like anything, you, you can appreciate it a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. And... Getting back to the popularity of the sport, uh, the growing nature of the sport. I mean, I lived in Florida for two years in the late uh, 80s. Uh, My father, being a professional soccer player, retired. And then he got a coaching job with the Tampa Bay Rowdies, who were then in the NASL. It was called the North American Soccer League. And they had pumped a lot of money into this league. They were bringing in the best players in the world um, who were coming to the end of their careers, players like Pele, uh, Johan Cruyff, uh, the great German player Franz Beckenbauer, uh, the great Irish player George Best. And um, it was they were getting crowds of 40,000, 50,000 at the games, and it was huge uh, for a while there. And I enjoyed even a, a sort of a couple of years uh, out there and thinking, wow, if this takes off in a, play, in a place like the United States, mm. it could be huge. And it only lasted then for a few years. I want to say maybe eight, six, eight years where it was really big. And then it didn't really quite take off. And then what we did see is we saw the USA uh, after that uh, build a national team that could compete in uh, World Cup competitions quite well. And they were pretty decent. They're not in this World Cup. But uh, um so I was hopeful that in the USA, the game, which is played at grassroots level quite well, but then when you get to, you know, age 16, 17, it seems to the big American sports take over. Um, I was hopeful that uh, that soccer would, would be bigger, but it just cannot compete with those, uh, those traditional American sports, really. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word 
into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Well, it's interesting here with with American football um, drawing more and more attention because of its rough nature uh, and, and not meaning, you know, you, you rip a fingernail or something, meaning uh, brain damaging, life altering concussions and these sorts of things. There's a lot of research now that's that's coming out about those sorts of issues. And, and every parent has to sort through difficult matters when it comes to yeah. sports, because part of what is involved with your, your child playing sports, especially our boys, perhaps, who we would funnel towards contact sports, what's involved there is going to be what I just said, contact. And, and we actually want that as fathers. Let's just isolate it here with fathers and sons for a minute. We want some of that. We want to train our sons to to, you know, get a little bit hurt, not blown up or something on the field, but a little bit hurt and and yet go on and not cry and, and these sorts of things and be tough. And and so there are a lot of things that we want to to breed into our, our sons along these lines. But I say all this because I, I would imagine I, I'm not, uh, you know, a prophet, but I would imagine that over the next 5, 10, 20 years, we really probably will see a migration, continuing migration of uh, of talent toward soccer in America. If, uh, if there is a father out there listening, perhaps one sitting even in Kansas City this very hour, what would you say to him if he's trying to uh, rear his son in soccer circles? What are the essential abilities that you would say? And I, I just mean this in a basic way. Uh, you are an expert in, in the field. What are the basic skills to teach your child to develop in them? Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing I always start out with with kids when I'm, I'm teaching them uh, soccer is uh, to be able to uh, control the ball, to pass and control. If you can't get the ball under control, it'll be bouncing away from you and you can't play the game. Mm. So I did basic uh, skill work with um, passing the ball with the inside of the foot to uh, a partner and controlling it and passing it back again. Then we'd use different parts of the foot, the inside, the outside of the foot. Um, then we would um, we would use the head. Now, it's interesting you you say that about the contact sports. And, I mean, that's probably – that, that could be another podcast in terms of, yes. you know, how far do you go in terms of the danger and the risks of, of contact sports and – well, in the UK now, they're doing uh, and have done research into, because I mentioned heading the ball, mm-hmm. um, and this has been maybe linked um, to uh, further down the line when players have retired to some forms of dementia or, or, or Alzheimer's that's been um, accelerated because of repeated use of heading uh, the football mm. um, or the soccer ball. Uh, so I would I would be teaching them to to do that, but to to head it properly, and you can head a you can head a soccer ball properly uh, where it's not uh, producing inordinate force through the head, um, and then you just progress from skill work um, into uh, small sided games. Um, I, I think that you begin with small sided games with young kids, so the, the the field isn't too big, and they get lots of touches of the ball. Mm. And then, you know, as they get a little bit older, you can make the the field bigger, and they get into a full size game. Um, I think that with soccer, what it does teach you is good discipline, and um, and so my father would teach me all of these basics. Um, at the same time, then he would teach me the disciplines that I needed to to progress.
progress in the game, and that is to obviously uh, be able to face disappointments and defeat or the fact that I maybe not be able to produce one particular skill very well at first, but to persevere in that if I was ever going to do well in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think, to, to win well and, and, to, and to lose well, to lose graciously. I mean, I think you want to instill in your, your kids a, a, a nature to uh, compete well within the rules of any sport when, you're, when they're playing. Um, but there are winners and losers on the sports field. And mm. Uh, mm. I'm not into this. Uh, I think it's a disaster in, in modern day sports at schools where everyone gets a medal. Well, what's the point of competing? Is that, that, that's just absurd. And it doesn't teach uh, children to actually accept that they won't always win and, that, and things won't always go well for them in, in life as well. And so I think the character aspects that, that dads in particular can, can teach their boys, but you know, parents in general teaching their kids through putting them into a, a sport like soccer um, are enduring things that go beyond uh, the soccer field, the sports field, and into life. Uh, yeah, I fully agree with what you said there. Uh, one of my strongest interests whenever I would play pickup basketball, which is fading from view for me, still, still in existence, <laughs> but fading, uh, would be to make sure that we would have the rule of, you know, winner stays, as they say in pickup basketball, very simple mm-hmm. language. But, you know, in other words, sometimes you would have to contend with guys who uh, who would want there to be a, like a two-game limit, you know, two-game winner's limit, mm-hmm. or a two-game limit for everybody. So, you, you know, the first game kind of matters, but then the second game doesn't matter at all because you're leaving the court no matter mm-hmm. what. And uh, listen, it's not fun to be on a court, you know, and lose five straight times and go home after two hours of basketball or whatever the game is and not have won a single game. That's not fun. But uh, you know what's even less fun is uh, everybody getting a trophy kind of culture. Uh, That's the only thing worse than a string of consecutive losing. To have that goal, you know, even in a a single uh, evening or something or day of of sports, whatever the sport may be, where you're trying to take down the top team and, and retain that title if you do, that's worth it all, man. That 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 joy of competition is is a yeah. common grace gift of God, really. Well, very much so. And being able to shake the hand of the opposition after you've finished in the arena, as it were, mm. which is the name of an excellent book on this subject by David Prince, by the way. Mm. Um, being able to shake the hand of your opponent when you've finished and when you've lost, um, uh, that, that, that shows character. Mm. Um, that shows... True character that you can acknowledge. Okay, you won. Well done. Um, but you can be bitterly disappointed that the fact that you you lost and you want to win the next time. Mm-hmm. Of course, for for Christian parents, what you're trying to train your kids in is that soccer is good, but soccer is not God, mm-hmm. and that, then that helps you to have a perspective when you do lose. Um, and that, you know, all gifts are uh, gifts from God as such, um, and we can display uh, the wisdom of God even in, in the skills that we use uh, with our bodies. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, intelligence is all about your academics and having a PhD, and I know you've got a few uh, letters after your name, Owen, but there's, there's other intelligence as well. There is sporting yes. intelligence that, that, that you display out there in the beauty um, of the game, um, and, and and so the parents can teach their children that these are gifts from from God.
God that they can use, and sport is a, a place that you can exercise that. But it's not God, and 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 if you have that right perspective, uh, then I remember l- losing the FA Cup final to Manchester United in 1994, and I was, you know, it's. It, it's hard to explain the, the disappointment of the day with millions of people watching and your fans are in the stadium. There's 100,000 people. It's a, sure. one of the premium events of, of, the, of, of the sporting calendar. Wow. And you get all that way. And Wembley is the national stadium. It's a place for, for winners, not, not losers. We lost that day, <laughs> Chelsea v Manchester United. And uh, one of my teammates threw his runners-up medal in the River Thames. He, he couldn't handle it. it and... Uh, I gave mine to my dad because it still meant something, even though it was second place. Um, so, but but again, you know, winning that wasn't ultimate for me you know, because I knew that uh, Christ was ultimate, is ultimate, and Christ is with me beyond uh, beyond soccer. And um, and so I think we can teach our kids those uh, those kind of perspectives and and draw them to the gospel and draw them to. Uh, to Christ, even as we're, we're we're teaching them on the on the soccer field, and when we're enjoying watching our kids uh, compete, one of the biggest problems for for young people and 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 sports is their parents. Yeah. Nowadays, parents are the biggest problem. Uh, you stand there often on the sidelines. The kids are doing all right in the field, but the parents are shouting and screaming and acting without self-control and um, treating their kids like they're some kind of demigods. And um, and so they're actually creating, uh, well, they're idolizing their kids and they're creating uh, entitled, uh, brattish young uh, competitors on the, on, on the field instead of self-controlled mm-hmm. um Com- competitive, um, noble and chivalrous players. Mm. Yeah, that's that's such a good word. This isn't parenting, but watching Real Madrid Liverpool a couple weeks back, I just I enjoyed how Zidane, the manager of Real Madrid, the the former mm. French great, um, comported himself. Uh, you know, he'll get yeah, exercised. He's cool, he? Yeah, cool. he's very cool. He's very cool on the sideline. Mm. He he doesn't. Yeah. He's not now. Look, if I was a coach, if I was him or anyone, any any football mm. coach, you know, I would get into it. Uh, so let that be said. Mm. But I I did like how um, I I do think there's something to as a coach and a parent both, if I can link the two, to a performance that is not histrionic uh, when watching. Uh, again, whether you're a father, mother, or a coach, be, because you've done the work. Uh, to me. I look at Zidane and I think, well, he put the work in with his team. He he prepped them. They know his system. They know what he's after. It's not actually a good sign for him to gesticulate wildly for 90 straight minutes on the sidelines. It's it's actually a, a sign of strength that he would be calm and composed because, again, uh, it, it looks to me like he has trained his players and he trusts his players, and it certainly would appear after three three straight championships that he has. Yeah, very much. And and different managers have different styles, um, of course. Um, and some would be a little bit more expressive sure. than others. But the manager that kind of uh, that loses it on the sideline is the players are kind of looking at him and thinking, we need someone that's that's in control of this. That's someone that we can look to if the thing's going wrong. Yeah. Um, but one one other thing I would say, just to parents, uh, you know, who are whose kids are engaging in sports, is, you know, when when you're doing all the shouting on the sideline, maybe uh, you're losing a little bit of self control. You're shouting too much. You're also you're undermining the authority of the coach. 
Mm, um, the coach is in charge um, when your kids are playing. Uh, and though obviously you are the authority over your children in general, you undermine the authority of the coach. Very confusing for the kids because the coach will be saying one thing, the parents are shouting another, and they're, they're torn on, on that field. So, so at some yes. of the – I know, for instance, a couple of the Premier League clubs in the UK now, they've brought in rules in their youth academy systems that the parents are not allowed to say anything from the sideline wow. to the, the kids. Yeah, because it was getting to such a point where the adults are out of control and the adults are actually a poor example for the kids and it's hindering the, the kids' development because they can't even hear the voice of the coach. And, they, uh, and then you get parents who are arguing with parents and, um, and, it's, and it's not a good thing. So no. just as much um, you know, parents want to be uh, coaching their kids uh, and getting their kids kids well coached and putting them into to, to good programs and teaching them those kind of uh, character things and, and from our perspective, Christian character and pointing them to the gospel. Parents themselves uh, need to learn um, self-control, I would say, would want to be one of the big things, uh, even as, as Christians, um, because you want your kid to do well. You want you. You almost want to at times think live through your your kid because now you can't run around anymore on the field, and you, yes. you want them to do better than you. And you can get a little bit carried away. But I even think again for 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 parents, it's a tester for Christian parents. Is do you idolize your kids, or is your greatest concern the development of Christian character and showing them that that Christ is God and and not sport in your life as well as your their life. You're dropping a lot of wisdom here. Um, you're you are similar to another great English sportsman, Eric Liddell, uh, who famously left the athletic world for a ministry career, missionary work in the Far East, as it was then called, uh, and was martyred there. Uh, so you yourself have the same path. You attained stardom in English football, and then left it all, left the BBC, even broadcasting uh, the World Cup itself for a number of years, doing very well in broadcasting as before in, in football. Um, and you left it for a ministry career in, in, in Canada uh, because of the, the gospel, because of the need to, to get the word out to people in, in a country that does not have enough uh, gospel influence. Um, and you're writing a, a book about this. Uh, could you just quickly tell my audience? I, in other words, I'm hearing you drop a lot of wisdom about, uh, about sports and idolatry and and, and a gospel-driven approach to things, and I know that's being worked out in this forthcoming book, correct? Sure, yeah. I, I was asked um, by a couple of book companies, um, uh, Christian Focus being one, to uh, which which is the, the, the company, obviously, that you and I went with for the Grand Design. Great company. Um, to, to do my uh, biography, and it's something, you know, I, I've always really steered away from Owen because obviously a biography is about yourself, but I want this uh, autobiography actually to be pointing to Jesus Christ. So it it will be um, uh, uh, obviously about my life, which is of somewhat interest uh, with my father being a a professional and me following and then having that career and then having the second dream career with with the BBC and then giving it up for for ministry. uh, but there's going to be a, a clear chapter in there with a gospel presentation. Amen. And I think Weave Through will be um, gospel lessons, um, hopefully some 
some wisdom there, hopefully touching on some real issues of, uh, of the culture, like the, the fatherlessness in the, in the culture and the need for mentorship, the need for, for men, uh, what true manhood is. These are things that you, you see in the world of soccer, a world of sport, um, which almost becomes a bit of a microcosm of, of culture at, at, at times. So I hope that the, I can craft the book in such a way that it will be an evangelistic tool, um, but at the same time encouraging for, for Christians sitting in the pews uh, and for young people out there, um, in the way uh, somewhat of Lidl. Um, I mean, you make a comparison. I don't know about that. <laughs> they write books about Lidl and make movies about him. <laughs> I don't think they do that with me. But uh, but I certainly admire uh, Eric and um, and the fact that he, he, he ran for a, gl- a greater glory when he ran. Uh, and then he showed even by uh, the fact that he went to the mission field and, 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 and died that, that he walked the walk and he, he really did. Did, uh, did live for a greater glory. It was Jesus Christ. And I think in our day and age where sport is God for so many and is a temptation uh, to displace Christ as, as, as primary in the lives of Christians, which just cannot happen, and yet it's happening too much, um, I think we need that uh, a, a clear clarion call um, to follow Christ above all else. And yes. uh, to seek his kingdom first, and all these other things will be added unto you. Um, and I think it, I hope it will be, be encouraging and, and helpful to, to many people, Christians and, and, and non Christians. Well, I believe it will, uh, friend. Thank you so much for being with me today uh, for this really consequential discussion, not just of the World Cup, not just of the game of soccer or football, but uh, most importantly of the Lord and uh, his, his oh. gospel call. So, um, So thank you for your witness here. Thank you for your wisdom on the game and for your time. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Owen. Cheers. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.